Hey everyone, and welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 216. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of What If, episode two, What If T'Challa Became a Star-Lord, directed by Brian Andrews, written by Matthew Chauncey, and A.C. Bradley is the head writer for the series. But before all that fun starts, just want to let you know where you can get exclusive podcasts over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, or just hit the link in our show notes. That's where you'll find exclusive podcasts where we talk about things like on our next one, the Eternals trailer, as well as the news that Anthony Mackie is officially signed on for Captain America 4, and Dominique Thorne making her debut as Riri Williams, a.k.a. Ironheart, in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. That, along with a number of other exclusive podcasts, will be available over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. And then make sure you're following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much to those of you who have already taken the time to do so. And now, on with our spoiler review. How you doing, Paul Herman? I'm doing pretty well. I'm staring at this uh, 12-inch Spider-Man toy I bought at Target. And it's, uh, you know, it's weird, Sean. We haven't got a trailer for, uh, you know, No Way Home yet, but I see toys for it. And I, I bought the uh, the new gold-suited uh, suit, which I have no, I know nothing about. I've stayed away from spoilers. I try to stay away from this stuff until, like, this gets released and leaked online. And I just would see little bits, and I saw it in Target, and I picked it up. And I didn't know what I thought about it, and I've been staring at it for a while. And I'm like, you know, this gold suit's starting to... It's starting to really, starting to really work. Starting to, starting to, you know, catch on with me a little bit. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm curious what this whole thing's all about. So, hopefully, we'll, we'll talk about that one day. But I know we got a lot of other stuff to talk about. So, I really like the yeah. new Spider-Man costumes because it's more than one. I just right. wish we were seeing them, like as they're going to look in the movie, like in live action, yes. as opposed to in Hasbro and Hot Toy collectible form. That would be mm-hmm. uh, that would be ideal, but yes. uh, we're still Agreed. waiting on that for whatever yes. reason. Hopefully, a Spider-Man <laughs> No Way Home trailer is imminent. We did get a new Eternals trailer this week. Spoiler alert for our next exclusive podcast over on the Patreon. I loved it, and I'm looking forward to talking about it on that show. And also, it was just part of a, a big news week for Marvel Studios. If we weren't, if we didn't have a spoiler view to do, we'd have uh, plenty of other things that we would be able to go ahead and talk about. Also, great mm-hmm. to see some very positive reactions to Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. The movie started screening this week, and the reactions, not just for press and and for critics, but also there were early fan screenings, and the reaction thus far has been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, that the movie is just as great as it looks, uh, especially in the last trailer that we got. Uh, which I mean, I loved the first trailer too, but the more the most recent one was outstanding, and I'm happy to hear uh, all the. Uh, I'm happy to hear that it is indeed as good as it looks. Uh, I have not seen the movie yet. I was super bummed for scheduling conflicts. I had to miss the press screening as, as well as the early fan screening because they were on the same night, so it didn't really help me that there were two options uh, for me to see it. But I can't wait to see the movie. Uh, on opening night, and then of course talk about it on this podcast with you, Paul. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a lot yes. of fun. It's gonna be epic, man. I I've heard I love all this stuff. I've been you know reading about it and hearing about it, so I I cannot wait for Shang Chi. Yeah, it's not even so much that the reaction is positive because I mean 
let's face it, it, it pretty much yeah. always is for the MCU, and, yeah, and deservedly part, so. Yeah. I'm not trying to be cynical about it, because uh, I am usually part of that <laughs> part of that chorus <laughs> of uh, singing Marvel's right. praises, no doubt. But um, it's more the specific praise, not spoilery, but more specific praise of various aspects of the films, uh, of the film that people are really, uh, that people really enjoyed. Um, and those were the types of things, as vague as, as people are being, thankfully, uh, the, the types of things I was looking for and hoping for uh, in the movie. So I just, I, I can't wait to see it and then, of course, talk about it. But uh, that's not what we are here to do this week. This week, we are talking about what if episode two, what if T'Challa became a Star-Lord? And this is one that, I mean, we've been eagerly anticipating the entire series. But certainly, when we saw the first footage of what if a couple years ago, and seeing this idea of, wait a minute, there's Star-Lord, but then the helmet goes away, and that's T'Challa. How is that going to make sense? Uh, Well, it makes all kinds of sense in, in this episode, and I loved it, but... It's such a huge difference to take T'Challa and put him in that Peter Quill, Guardians of the Galaxy type of space, uh, no pun intended, and see what he would do with it. It was such an interesting concept for What If, um, but it's exactly the type of thing you should be doing in What Mm -hmm. If. And uh, as high as my expectations were for this episode, based on the concept, and then, of course, um, you know, knowing that this is going to be not this episode, but this portrayal in animated form, the last opportunity we're going to have with Chadwick Boseman as this character, um, which, of course, is is not the way things should be. It's just the way that things are. All kinds of expectations and, and emotions going into this episode, and I, I couldn't have been happier with the experience that I had with this. I thought that it was a fantastic episode for a number of reasons, I thought it was a great story. I thought it was very touching. It was exciting. It was fun. It was hilarious. And I think what where it became an even bigger win for me was even within the format of the mm. episode, where it really told a whole new story, which was different than Captain Carter, which was very much... The Captain Carter episode was very much following along, even though it changed certain beats and things happened in different order, and, and obviously everything kind of had a, a different spin to it it was still following a lot of the beats of Captain America, the first Avenger, whereas this one just said T'Challa is Star-Lord and we'll start with the, you know, retrieving the orb on Morag, but that's kind of it. After that, it's a completely different story. And it did do what Marvel Studios movies do so well in playing in picking a genre and kind of exploring that through its big Marvel superhero lens. And this one was definitely a heist story in a lot of ways, kind of like Ant-Man, but a very different type of heist story than Ant-Man. And really, above all else, I just thought it was a a terrific exploration of T'Challa, giving us qualities we've seen from the character before, qualities Mm. that made us fall in love with the character, um, but also plenty of things we hadn't seen from the character before and and exploring new aspects of who who T'Challa is and different aspects of his personality. Um, and just done such a terrific job of representing why this character, as played by Chadwick Boseman, made such an impact in in such little time, really. Yeah, again, I'm going to be a broken record on these what if episodes because we're two in and I'm blown away how much of the aesthetic they are. They're able to carry over to the from the comic book ideas 
and mashing all that together. And you, you summed that really well there, Sean, about how with, with Captain Carter, it pretty much followed the, the same format of the, the film of the first Avenger. And, and that's cool. And I, I think that's, that it worked well for that. And that's kind of what I thought we were going to get was something along those lines. This was even more true to what the comic book that I loved growing up was where it took this concept, a really bonkers concept, like T'Challa being star Lord or, or, or being, which by the way, that I thought that, that was probably my, my only minor complaint was the whole calling of star Lord thing. I'm like, really? I'm like, okay, well, whatever. I, I get it. Like I, I, again, I'm nitpicking at this point, but that's my only real, uh, negative. I was even, I mean, negative, just a nitpick. But regardless, him being the Star Lord is such a bonkers concept and just out there. And the but what I love about what they did and what I loved about in the comic books, they took the essence of those characters and what these different changes, how much that would change the character or and how much true essence of the character would remain. And I think we see I think that's to me, you you summed up beautifully, honestly, like you see T'Challa, he is still that same person. But he's definitely a little bit different. It's, it's, right. he's, but he's still the core of the core of the character exists, and that to me is what I thought was so great. Was even through you know you took what Peter Quill himself went through and put it with T'Challa. How would that affect him? Basically, right? And to me, it was it was really cool to see. I think Yondu his his his. I think obviously what I loved about it is his his uh, need for family. And the need to have someone that he could, you know, treat them like a son or a daughter or whatever, he needed he needed that in his life. That was reinforced with T'Challa, right? The fact that he took this kid, didn't just drop him back off, he kept him, and you know, flew around. I, I just love seeing not just with T'Challa, but all the characters. We'll obviously, we'll get into, but I just love seeing that in his reaction and. Also, I think the, I don't know, everything about this episode was so great to see the essence of T'Challa was there, but also seeing how he was molded and how he is definitely a different character. And just, I don't know, I loved seeing it all play out so much differently. And and again, like you said also, how the whole episode is basically, it's not just a format of the whole film. The The whole idea of what they're doing is completely different, which I loved. And I think that to me is what I think I can't wait to see more episodes of what if, because it is completely altering everything. And you get to see, you got to see what, what if is capable of how fun these things can be in the Marvel universe in this episode. Like we saw it in last episode. Sure. But this even makes it even more like, Hey, mainstream audience, this is how fun the stuff can be. All those characters, you know, like this is how you can twist around. Like, which I'm not sure how much you want to get into it, but I'm just going to say it right now really fast. Thanos being a, uh, you know, a, a ravager, ravager. Yeah. Freaking brilliant like yep. that that's what if baby like this is it if you if you're in on these two episodes you're gonna be in forever like this is ex- exactly what it's all about but i loved it i love this episode it was great yeah well it's how t'challa changes everyone around him and i yes. think that you know these are people who of course never really had the opportunity to to meet t'challa but with T'Challa being out exploring the universe and impacting people's lives. And it changes everything. I mean, it changes Thanos. And and we'll talk about that more specifically when we get to that scene. But it even changes the Ravagers. You know, they're heroes. I mean, they're outlaws. But as Korath kind of explains, it's more of a Robin Hood type of outlaw uh, as opposed to the, the selfish 
pirates or whatever that the Ravagers uh, were for most of their time in uh, in the MCU. So it completely changes those things. And, and the factor that, that impacts them, that changes those things, it is T'Challa. And it's him being able to um, expand his reach because, of course, now he's out in space. He's not... On, he's not bound to Earth and, and largely bound to Wakanda. So you just get to see the way he impacts everything. And and certain things just never even come close to happening, like Infinity War or Endgame in this timeline, because T'Challa reached Thanos, which, as I said, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about. Because um, obviously I'm getting ahead of things here, but we, we begin right. on Morag. And we will find out that this is Morag in 2008, not 2014. Because remember when Peter Quill was taken in 1988, T'Challa was taken in the same year in this story, but it's 26 years later to get to Morag in Guardians of the Galaxy with Peter Quill. It's 20 years later uh, when we catch back up with T'Challa in uh, in Morag. But this opening sequence, um, I, I thought was great because it's this is where they this is the one scene where there's a lot of overlap with the original Guardians of the Galaxy, but then, of course, it, it twists it right away and then it goes in its own direction, where Korath, who didn't know who Star-Lord was in uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy, obviously, as soon as he sees T'Challa, just knows that that is Star-Lord. And Korath, going from Korath the Pursuer to Korath the Fanboy and the way he's just fawning over T'Challa... It was a trip for me at first. Like I had to catch up to this completely new, uh, <laughs> this completely new version of Korath. Um, but I'll buy it because I feel like that's part of the legend of Star Lord. That this Star Lord that T'Challa has established is he's creating a lot of hope for people, and and people are being affected by that. And obviously, that's uh, Korath, who's you know still working for Ronan at this point in time, but is looking for a new job. Um, and thinks it's you know the honor of his life that he's going to get to fight uh, Star-Lord, um, I thought was great. As far as the use of the name Star-Lord, I understand why Marvel did it, and I think I ultimately agree with it. I don't really think there was another option. You do wonder why he would have the name Star-Lord, because in the MCU version of events, Peter Quill having the name Star-Lord came from his mother directly. So that's where the name happened. It was very personal to Peter Quill and why he wanted to be known as Star-Lord. Whereas T'Challa, we don't really get a sense of exactly where the name came from, but I, I think you need to use the name. I think it needs to be a name that that we know and recognize from the MCU. I don't think the story would have the same punch if he were if they just assigned a different cosmic hero type of name for T'Challa. So I, I'm good with the use of the name Star-Lord even if it's not, uh, of course, for the same reason that we would have had for uh, for Peter Quill. But I, I really liked this scene. And uh, I, there were some really funny moments in it, like when Korath uh, actually lands a punch on T'Challa and immediately apologizes. Uh, and T'Challa saying, that's okay, like, that's that's why we're here. Um, I thought was uh, I thought was really, really great. So just this this opening bit and completely turning the tables on how things went for Peter Quill on Morag uh, was was awesome. I was having a ton of fun with it. Yeah, that that was a surprise. And again, a great exposition of explaining what T'Challa is and how different he is. Mm -hmm. I, I, I love that. It was really, really great. And also see how he stays with him afterwards. It's not just a one-time thing. I love that. I love right. the fact that he stays with him eventually, you know, afterwards as well. And it was... It was it was a again a great exposition way uh, uh, 
the, the give exposition and give the audience kind of an update of what, how different this world is and how the Chala is his outreach is, is so powerful that also, which by the way, again, Sean, thanks for bringing that up because I, I, I was just thinking about it now. It's interesting to think about, you're kind of showing the impact of T'Challa in general of a character and just how, if you look, compare it to the MCU version, he's kind of trapped in Wakanda. Like Wakanda is kind of a secluded thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And it, it's almost as if like Marvel saying, if T'Challa was able to spread his wings out more, his positive impact would be, you know, felt. And this is one way of showing that, like basically saying like because he's kind of trapped in you know, Wakanda's kind of has that old way as the, as the whole first movie is explains. Right. Like how mm -hmm. he's, you know, he tells his father, we were you were wrong. We were wrong to, you know, what we did. Uh, but like in, in this film or in the show, we're, we're, we're seeing the impact of what T'Challa as a leader and as a person can be and how powerful he is. I love that fact that that's, you know a big plot idea or for the whole show. And so I love that. I love seeing how impactful the T'Challa is as a person and how he, you know, is being basically secluded in Wakanda and restricted there. And he, you know, we don't, he doesn't even realize that in the, in the show or in the MCU proper. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And there's kind of a, a central thematic question that's it's literally asked in the opening of the episode during uh jeffrey Wright's the watcher his narration yeah. when so he good. says but in a multiverse of infinite possibility is your destiny determined by your nature or by the nature of your world and Woo. the answer to some extent is is a little bit both because t'challa mm -hmm. is it has a certain freedom that maybe he didn't necessarily have growing up in wakanda or certainly an opportunity a much bigger opportunity to reach Literally everyone, well, not maybe not everyone in the universe, but way more people <laughs> throughout the known universe. Uh, he had that opportunity in this version of events compared to the Prime MCU, which is not to take anything away from T'Challa's impact in the Prime MCU timeline. Obviously, yeah, he was absolutely. a massive hero, but there was something he had to do, right? Like that was the end of Black Panther was opening up Wakanda to the world and, and sharing those resources and providing that help and, and having that impact it doesn't make t'challa any less of a hero in that timeline it's just there's because of the way things happen like obviously this t'challa got a much earlier start at having an expanded impact and so that idea though being determined by your nature i think that is the overriding thing like yes the nature of your world might help but think about the nature of this world right as we understood it the ravagers and you know peter quill he steals the orb or he wants to take it from Morag really for his own personal gain to just sell it to the broker. That's the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy. Whereas T'Challa's intention this entire time is to use it for good. He's stealing from the powerful to give to the powerless. He even says to Yandu after this sequence um, with the whole, you know, Ravager never flies solo when Yandu helps him out. No treasure is worth as much as the good that can be done with it. This is T'Challa's mentality and he's convincing more people of that. So his nature is actually impacting and reshaping the nature of the world around him or the worlds around him. This is the effect that he's having. And you get to see it in this story, which I think is awesome. And it is, to uh, to steal the phrase from Korath, classic Star-Lord, at least this version of Star-Lord. And it's it's really awesome to see. And, and it's it's the power of this character that we witnessed in the MCU in the same way that we saw the impact of Chadwick Boseman 
on and off screen through this role and just through the person that he was. This story is a good representation of that within the fictional uh, world or multiverse of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which I, I thought was really, really awesome. And, you know, you just see that when you talk about the nature of T'Challa and just think about the name of his ship. He's named his ship after Nelson Mandela. It's the Mandela. It's not the Milano, um, which is not to knock Peter Quill going for his 80s crush to name his ship after. Um, you know, they're just obviously very different people. And Peter Quill had uh, had growing to do in different ways than uh, than T'Challa did. But uh, I-, I loved seeing the way that everything here is such a beautiful representation of, of who this character is. Um, and the power of this character in, in so yeah. many different ways. And uh, we do flash back to how it all started, Wakanda in 1988. And we have a conversation between a very young T'Challa as well as King T'Chaka. And that is uh, John Connie doing the voice uh, back as the voice of T'Chaka for this. And we hear T'Challa as a young kid. He wants to go out and explore the world. And T'Chaka is explaining that there's nothing for them out there, that it's a world of war, of violence, of hatred. And this really points, I mean, it's important to see this conversation because I think it feeds into what it cuts right to the heart of one of the main issues in Black Panther, right? With the idea of valuing tradition, but it's not just tradition for tradition's sake for, from T'Chaka's perspective, from those who were the kings before T'Chaka. And and even T'Challa wasn't completely immune to this, didn't completely resist this in, through uh, adulthood, as we saw in the Prime MCU timeline, that while it may ha- be a very cynical point of view, there is a good intention behind it. And the idea is that they want to, that a king of Wakanda wants to protect the people of Wakanda. And this is a father wanting to protect his son. It may lead to those best of intentions can lead to bad decisions, decisions where somebody would be wrong, like what T'Chaka did leaving uh, leaving Killmonger behind after killing uh, Njobu, as we saw in uh, in the first Black Panther film. So we know that these bad things can happen and that good people, even with the best of intentions, can still end up being wrong and end up making very, very bad decisions that have uh, disastrous consequences we saw that exploration in Black Panther and we see some of that mentality at play here. Um, but we also see how maybe it changes T'Challa because young T'Challa really wanted to go out and explore, um, which he did do as an adult in the prime MCU timeline. But he also was part of, at least initially, upholding some of those traditions that proved problematic. Like remember throughout the movie, it was Nakia was the one who was pushing more for the approach to for Wakanda to have toward the rest of the world that T'Challa ultimately adopted at uh, at the very end of the film. So seeing how this changes T'Challa, the fact that he's taken at an earlier age where he maybe doesn't end up carrying the burden of the throne that his father had and having to worry about the good of his of, of all of his people in Wakanda, T'Challa was taken away from that and, and really just allowed to be the young explorer that he was at heart. At the beginning of this, the way that changes, uh, the way that changes him, the way that changes so many other people whose lives uh, he touches as a result of this was such a great idea to explore. And, and I love that they took it back to that uh, with this conversation between T'Chaka and, and his son T'Challa. Yeah, it was it was really cool to kind of see the the seeds of T'Challa kind of right here. And again, the consistency of the characters from the original MCU and how that 
all changes and kind of you're, you're kind of setting up the idea of where why maybe T'Challa is you know what he gets picked up why he may not why he believes what Yondu says later on right and kind of sets that up and why he kind of goes along with it so it is it is great seed planning for the end of the episode too I think so yeah I, I did love the consistency here that we got with the characters from the original MCU and how it sets it informs the episode going forward yeah and I also like the explanation of how this happened, like the choice, because that's what it comes down to in mm-hmm. the first episode, the Captain Carter episode. The choice was Peggy Carter deciding to stay in the room rather than watch the whole super soldier process from the booth. So the choice here was actually Yandu's is what changed things is that Yandu didn't go to Earth himself to get Peter Quill. He sent Craglin and Taserface, voiced respectively by Sean Gunn and, and Chris Sullivan, as we know from the live-action MCU. So sent them, and they were looking for what they were attracted to was the cosmic readings that they detected, which makes sense from uh, for Wakanda, because as young T'Challa explains, remember, it's all a vibranium mound that was from a meteorite that landed on Earth long ago. So that's the cosmic readings they were detecting. So they assumed this kid must be Peter Quill. Of course, he is not. Uh, But anyway, uh, T'Challa is there. He's not afraid. Like his reaction to the ship is just cool. And then he's all happy to see Yondu and and everything. Uh, And then they decide to go explore the world. So, you know, we saw T'Challa in the main MCU timeline. He did a lot of good in in Wakanda and on Earth. Uh, He changed the world in the prime MCU timeline. But now this T'Challa has an opportunity to change the universe. And so we go to 20 years later. So this is 2008, not 2014. And we're at a bar and I couldn't tell, like it was kind of snowy. It was like, is this maybe a, a, a different part of Contraxia? I, I, I don't know. Um, or it's just some other planet somewhere in the MCU. But uh, we see that T'Challa, as Korath is asking about the history of T'Challa and the Ravagers and their adventures and all that they've accomplished we learn that T'Challa has already stopped Thanos, but not only has he stopped Thanos, he's recruited Thanos. And uh, that part was just uh, amazing to me. And I was so happy that I didn't know, like I knew that Thanos was going to be in What If, because Josh Brolin had been announced as part of the cast, so okay, makes sense. But I didn't know he was going to be in this episode, and I didn't know this would be the context, and that's why I was a little disappointed in those who were sharing their early reactions to this. I did see after I watched the episode, thankfully, uh, when when I got the screeners, I started seeing in others in their reactions sharing that Thanos was in this episode, which I, I thought was kind of messed up because you, it's a completely different version of him. And I'm so happy that I didn't even know he was going to be in this, let alone the version that we got. And mm-hmm. even the way Thanos explains what happened, like saying, I'm a big enough man to admit when I'm wrong. T'Challa here showed me there was more than one way to reallocate the universe's resources. And T'Challa says, sometimes the best weapon in your arsenal is just a good argument. This is how uh, how great of a person and how inspiring of a figure T'Challa was, is he saved Thanos's soul and in the process saved half the universe. Maybe not completely saved Thanos's soul because like Thanos is still very much... You know, thinking Thanos is still into the idea of the efficiency of his plan of taking out half the universe, but he's not actually going to do it. But yeah, this whole thing of T'Challa having reached and completely changed Thanos and, and given this character an about face was amazing. And as you alluded to before, perfect 
use of the what if concept of yes you can mm-hmm. do anything with these characters you can take t'challa out of wakanda into space make him star lord but then that has other types of effects and you can completely reshape other characters as well and we've taken our arch villain of the entire infinity saga and now we've just made him one of the ravagers <laughs> It's so brilliant. It's awesome. I mean, he doesn't even like definitively outrank any other member of the team. I know. (laughs) He's like, he's just the muscle on this Ravager squad. Oh, so good. Yeah. But, and it makes, and it makes sense because in the context of, of T'Challa, you, he's, he, what you've got with Korath at the beginning, everyone knows that this guy is, is, a, he's a great leader. He's, he he knows how to fix things. And with Thanos, seeing you know someone who could probably measure up with him intellectual intellectually, and I think ob- obviously for pound for pound, even and maybe not for muscle for muscle, but for fighting and be able to stick with it, he probably respects T'Challa enough to listen to him and hear him out. And so I love that idea that he decides instead of like fighting against him to join him to like help help the people and help the resources. You know, even and I, but as we know. He has, they keep talking about genocide throughout yeah. the entire episode. It was just so good. Oh, God, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, it, it's amazing. Like, the Thanos is changed, but, you know, not totally. Uh, they're not still totally. a part nope. of him that sees the value in, in his approach. But Thanos gets a pretty good hero moment uh, a little bit later on in, in the episode and, and getting to play off of his whole mad titan persona, um, which we'll, we'll definitely get to. But... Uh, Thanos isn't the only one we're catching up with here. We do briefly catch up with Drax, uh, who wants a selfie. He's not voiced by Dave Bautista in this episode. Uh, But we also learned that Drax, his wife and daughter, are alive because T'Challa stopped a Kree invasion on Drax's homeworld. As we know from Guardians of the Galaxy, that Kree invasion was led by Ronan. Uh, So so T'Challa was able to stop that. And changing Thanos has another impact because... If Thanos has been reached and, and reformed as much as Thanos could be in 2008, that creates a different reality and different opportunities for Nebula, as voiced by Karen Gillan. And I loved Nebula in this episode. Like, I, I love that she still held a grudge against Thanos, and rightfully so, but also the way that this character is changed by being free of Thanos for much longer mm-hmm. and, and much earlier in her life than we saw in the prime MCU timeline. And just like her, I, I love this casual slash somewhat flirty relationship between T'Challa and, and Nebula, like the whole hey cha-cha thing uh, mm-hmm. I thought was awesome. And even when uh, Nebula is, is explaining how she's still, of course, very, very angry with uh, with Thanos, how T'Challa is trying to convince her that he's changed, like he gardens now, you should talk to him. He really has changed. Um, that dynamic I, I, I thought was, was great, but this is also just part of the, the effect that, you know, the butterfly effect sort of that T'Challa is having that's, you know, cascading across the universe is now, now Nebula gets to be in a completely different position. And there's a lot of her character that we might recognize from the films, but also, uh, we see that, uh, you know, we see Nebula having more agency. We see her kind of taking on this different role and, and she's kind of, out on her own uh, within the universe, but also having the alliances that she has with T'Challa and the Ravagers, and of course having her own history with the Collector uh, set up in in this episode. 
all of this uh, I thought was just a, a ton of fun. And I've always, I, I've long felt that Nebula and, and have said as much on the podcast that I think Nebula is one of the great success stories of the MCU, that this is a character yeah. that a lot of people didn't necessarily know very well from the comics. And, and even if they did, like I was, I never would have counted myself as a Nebula fan from the comic book. She was just whatever. <laughs> close. Yeah. But in the MCU, she's become as compelling of a character as, as just about anyone. And that's because of the storytelling, what James Gunn has done in the Guardians films. And then, of course, carrying that forward with Marcus and McFeely and the Russo brothers in Infinity War and Endgame. She has been such an amazing character throughout. And so to see her shining in this new light uh, was was a real treat. This was one of the surprising things of this episode that I Besides Thanos, obviously, because I, I like you, Sean, I, I didn't know and I, I never screen her, but I just I avoid all the spoilers and I was genuinely surprised. But Nebula was the surprise that I was like, huh, OK, like I, I was like, OK, that's interesting, whatever. But then as it was a series or the, the show went on, I really liked this version of Nebula a lot. Um, I like the look, the dynamic. I love the the ideas of like the blonde white hair being visually this real like um it defines the character as being completely different right it gives the character like this is a different completely different version of the character not just like you know it's somewhat of the same character it is a, a much different version and i just love that, that whole like look it, it, is, it was a very good just i uh, example of what what if can do and what the nebula character and how interesting she is. And and I liked her in the first Guardians movie. And I thought she was actually one of the, the best parts of volume two. Which, definitely. Is, again, definitely not. And and people know I'm not a big fan of uh, or as a lot of other people of volume two. I don't hate it, but not my favorite. But she and Gamora were definitely my, the highlights of that whole movie for me. And obviously, in end game, obviously from Infinity War to Endgame, now I'm all about Nebula. So it was really cool to see this version of Nebula. And like you said, the comics, this is, they've done way better job than the comics ever have. And it's just because the way the movies have kind of, you know, morphed into what they have. And, and that's cool. And I, I love this, this different version that we get in what if, and I love the fact that you know, there is still that, that bitterness between her and Thanos. And, but also how you don't really know what side she's on and what she's trying to pull and, I don't know. She it was it just showed you. I think the uh, I forgot. I always forget her name. The the actress's name. Karen uh, Gillan. Is it Karen? Karen Gillan. Um, I always get her and the comic book writer mixed up. Karen. It's it's they have very similar names. Um. Anyway, she is such a great uh, actress, and I loved. I love her Nebula, and seeing this different version of the character, you again, you almost want to see Nebula like turn more into this character after Endgame. Like, I, I want to see this version of Nebula a little bit more. I think it's there. I think especially what you have in, in after Endgame, you could do, use a lot of these uh, characteristics in there. I mean, she's going to be grown. She'll have grown a lot as a character by then. So I don't know. I love seeing that. And it was it, that to me was the biggest surprise of the episode was like seeing how great she was as a character, how much I like that version of the character. So, yeah, Nebula was great. She was, and I can't wait to see her in the holiday special and in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and I'm rooting for Nebula to get a Disney Plus series. I think this character is good enough to go out and do yeah, that, and plus I love I the agree. idea of some big cosmic uh, Marvel Studios mm. Disney Plus series, but Ooh. you know, and, and you can see that it, it would be interesting to kind of explore this version of the character in What If, like 
Could the nebula we know from the prime MCU timeline, sacred timeline, whatever, would she start to trend more in this direction when she mm-hmm. is free of Thanos and, and everything? Like, I, I think that would be uh, that would be a very interesting idea to explore. But what we're already seeing in this uh, What If episode, I thought was great. Um, and she is the one who kind of has uh, our, our plan of the heist talking about Tanalir Tavon, the collector, has the embers of Genesis, which uh, can heal a dying planet in minutes, or as uh, T'Challa figures out, would also be able to feed the hungry. Um, so you don't have to like kill half of everybody, as Thanos would say. The embers of Genesis seem even more efficient than whatever Thanos was going to do. Um, but also, I-, I like the way that the Collector filled in the power vacuum left behind by Thanos. So mm-hmm. yep. Yep. if Thanos is not uh, the, you know, the ultimate power in the universe or pursuing the ultimate power in the universe with the Infinity Stones and the Gauntlet and all of that, well, somebody is going to have ambition and the collector uh, certainly fits the bill in, in that sense. And I also like that this is like a buffed up version of the collector. Like he wants, you know, a body to maybe match uh, his uh, his bigger ambitions uh, in this reality. Um, but Yandu does, uh, Yandu wants to pass on the mission, but of course T'Challa persuades him. We also get a little bit of an explanation of what happens in the conversation between T'Challa and Nebula we find out they answer kind of the obvious question of, well, wait a minute. If they, if they took the wrong kid, why didn't they just bring him back? Or even if they wanted to uh, let T'Challa explore a little bit out in space, why didn't they take him back after that? Well, they told him the story that Wakanda had been destroyed and also T'Challa. Why didn't he want to go back? Well, he did, but it, it, in his mind, there was no home to go back to. I think Yondu gets off a little easy for this lie, but we'll talk about that more as we go through the episode. Um, But anyway, that's our explanation for why T'Challa did not go back to Wakanda, at least not yet. Um, So uh, also, I really like the, you know, although the Robin Leach joke I laughed at, but I was just like, well, wait a minute. Would T'Challa even talk about Robin Leach? Maybe he would. I I, I don't know (laughs) in the way that Peter Quill would uh, share all of his pop culture references, but whatever um so then we it it's time to go to nowhere of course where the collector's at and we have a different use of the black order or children of thanos but they are called the black order here which they weren't in infinity war and endgame but i guess children of thanos wouldn't really make that much sense if they're not working for him at this Mm -hmm. point in time so uh they arrive on nowhere and the black order are handling security we do get uh, a couple of the voices from the Black Order. Carrie Coon is voicing Proxima Midnight, and um, Tom Von Lawler is voicing Ebony Maw, but uh, it is not Michael James Shaw. It's actually the same guy uh, who voiced Drax is voicing Corvus, and then we just really get grunts from Cull Obsidian. But uh, the idea is that the Ravagers, Thanos and Korath mainly, meaning Thanos punching Korath in the face, will provide a distraction that will distract security so that uh, T'Challa and Nebula can do their thing uh, and go get the Embers of Genesis. But uh, there's a really cool moment, though, of Proxima Midnight when she, like, settles the riot because it's probably the most powerful she ever got to be in the MCU. Like, she just knocks them all down at at once. Um, Meanwhile, T'Challa is looking for the Embers of Genesis and meets Howard the Duck because why not? Um, I, I love that. And I also the recapping of the plan, like Korath's reaction to it, because they're talking through the plan, of course, in 
in heist movie mode. They talk through the plan as we watch it unfold. And as Korath is uh, told about the plan, his reaction of amazing no notes, a perfect plan, what could go wrong, uh, I got a kick out of. And I also just love seeing T'Challa in heist mode, which is not really a mode that we have seen him in. And then just great visuals like him flying through the collector's collection uh, was just cosmic, cool, fun stuff that uh, that I really loved. So it's it, I, I don't think we've given enough credit yet. And we've talked about the story points and the character development because that's always most important. Um, but visually, this was a really oh, cool episode. There was a lot of awesome stuff to look at. You know, the animation is really growing on me. I again, it's 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 a little bit. I always go back to that the idea of like it definitely feels that the Fleischer Superman there's, there's something there the the fluidity is not what I'm typically used to with animation but I'm getting more and more used to it and I'm really really digging it and I yeah all the design stuff is spot on and, and, and granted you, you you would think that Marvel Studios is probably using maybe a lot of discarded you know or mashing up different things of Mm-hmm. You know, maybe artwork and things like that. And I'm sure they've got design teams true too. Don't, don't get me wrong, but um, they're doing a great job of, of giving us fresh designs, but also hearkening back again, going back to my, my love of the, what if comic books, what the, what the artists were able to do there is always kind of just tweak things and make things a little more fun to kind of add their own little spin on what they would maybe like to do with the characters or whatever. And to get again, because it's a different universe, you can do that and no one's going to care because it's a what if story. So it gives the artists a lot of freedom. I'm assuming the artists had, a, you know, were probably told you can go to town a little bit with your, your designs and, you know, and see what you could do but potentially again, if they're not just recycling things, which could be a little bit of both. But yeah, the, the designs and everything we we're seeing in this has been awesome. I love I think in the collector, the fact that he's some bulked up muscle guy in this yeah. is hilarious. I mean, he but he looks he looks like 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 the collector again. Small nitpick. I didn't like his voice acting. The my obviously it's not Benicio. No, it was Benicio's, no way. It was not Benicio. It was Benicio del Toro is credited as the as the voice actor for he this version of the like collector. A, is a total. He sounds like a totally different character. Well, I think he's probably playing a different version of the character, and I think right, maybe he yeah, chose to great. have the voice uh, to match that. Everybody sounds a little bit different, and I don't know if, if that's the... Well, I guess Haley Atwell sounded exactly like Haley Atwell. Um, and I thought Thanos sounded like Thanos. Yeah, I that's true. Thanos, that's true. Yeah. There were a couple people who it's, sounded a little bit different in this, though. I, Benicio wasn't the only one. Chris Sullivan, like as, as Taserface, I didn't think that was him until I saw the credits at the end. Okay, fair um, enough. And then, although his credits are probably in his, he's probably credited in the opening titles, and I just missed it. Um, and then, uh, even Sean Gunn's Craglin sounds like Sean Gunn, but not quite like Craglin in live action. So there were some differences between the vocal performances that we get in animated form here and, and the ones we've heard in live action. Benicio, you were brilliant. That shows you how brilliant that guy is. I that he sounded so different. It was almost, it honestly was jarring to me. It was so different. I'm like, man, this is like. It's, because I get it. I mean, it's a different character and that's why I kind of went with it because it's not the same version, but yeah, I had no idea that was Benicio. God, I love Benicio. I love you. All right. I, I totally changed my mind. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, see, this is what happens. I don't, I don't, I don't watch credits. I'm just not, I'm just not that person. I, you know, again, I didn't, cause again, I wasn't, it wasn't that big of a deal to me. I was like, I had to see who, who this crappy voice actor was. I was like, okay, it's Benicio. Okay. He's awesome. He, he totally changed the character. No, the design stuff was great. I, I, I thought we'd get even more Easter eggs in the, 
in the uh, in his little walk around thing, but mm-hmm. whatever his little jail cell, whatever you want to call it, collection. I did like the fact that it's almost a giant Easter egg within an Easter egg of Howard the Duck with yep. with Seth Green because Seth Green obviously is you know a big time voice actor. And he's, you know, so it's like, I don't know, I thought it was, I thought it was yeah. great. Well, he's it, also it, been the voice of Howard the Duck in the movies as well. well so. Right, right, right. But yeah, yeah but that's what I'm saying. It's an Easter egg within an Easter egg. It's sure. like. Sure. Yeah. 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 I, it's just, it's cool. Yeah. There's, uh, there's some great, I should credit because we've, uh, you know, I've mentioned it a couple of times that, yeah, it's Fred uh, Tataskior, or sorry, I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, but that was the guy who voiced uh, Drax and, and Corvus in this, but uh and it was a different uh, voice actor for Brian T. Delaney, who did uh, Peter Quill at the very end. But for the most part, the voice actors were the same as uh, live action, including you should give a, a credit or a shout out to Ophelia Lovabond, who voiced Karina, the collector's assistant. Uh, that was awesome. And yes. uh, although slave is more accurate than, uh, yeah. than, than assistant, um, as she pointed out in Guardians of the Galaxy before she grabbed the Power Stone and then things didn't end well for her. Things uh, end a little bit better for her. Not a little bit, a I, lot I, better for her. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about this. Well, yeah, yeah but yeah, go on. But that, it, it was such a great thing. And, and you know, other Easter eggs, like I like that we saw, I don't know, similar things in the collection that made sense. Like you see a Dark Elf, you see Cosmo, um, and who of course comes back later on in, in the episode. I like that we were seeing some of those uh, elements from the collection that we would have recognized from before. And there was definitely a, a big part of me that was wondering, like, are we about to see something we've never really seen before in the MCU as like some sort of big reveal as a, a big Easter egg within this collection? We didn't really, but I, I think I was okay with that because maybe it's not the best spot to have a, a, a big new reveal and there's already enough new, you know, at least reshaping of things uh, within this story already. So as T'Challa is looking for the embers of Genesis, he discovers a space-worthy royal talon, and he immediately, it, it the necklace that he has, it, it triggers the ship, so he knows it's from Wakanda, or certainly it leads him into believing that's where it's from, but then there's no mistaking it when he boards the royal talon and he sees the Dora Milaje costumes there, and then he gets a video of T'Chaka much older than he was when T'Challa last saw him. And we see a, a video message playing where they are still, Wakanda has been searching for him in space through the cosmos this whole time. And uh, there were some great things in there, like from T'Chaka, like talking about searching every light in the night sky, you know, finding T'Challa on this plane or in the next. And we certainly know about the ancestral plane and spirituality within Wakanda. And T'Chaka looking forward to that and dreaming of that, whether it happens in this life or the next one, um, I, I thought was really touching. But then I, I think what was really important about that is to you know give some validity to T'Chaka's perspective and and that, yes, he had a very cynical view of the outside world, but you know, there's reasons to have a cynical view from Wakanda's perspective or anyone's perspective, really, of the outside world. So the cynicism is, is not unfounded. Um, but the instinct there is to is to protect as a king, protecting his people, as a father, protecting his son. And that's what's driving him this uh, what's been driving him since T'Challa was taken. And even Wakanda, you know, if if anybody was going to figure out interstellar travel on Earth first, yeah, it was going to be the people of Wakanda. So uh, and also just I, I thought this was a really clever use of of connecting this story to T'Challa with of reconnecting T'Challa to Wakanda is using the collector because of course 
Wakanda would have, the people of Wakanda would have gone looking for T'Challa. Of course, they would have figured out interstellar travel. And of course, the collector would end up with a royal talon because he collects things. So if he found one out in space, he would take it. So I, I really love this way, you know, the efficiency of the storytelling, you know, as I was praising a little bit last week, that was a really uh, clever point of connection for this to bring it back to Wakanda to set up the end of the episode and also reveal this truth that uh, is smoothed over a little too easily between T'Challa and Yandu. Yeah, that that was, it, it was interesting. Cause I, I thought they wouldn't even address it. It would just be like, okay, we just take him and, and go from there. But no, they went with that angle and I was like, dang, uh-oh, this is going to be, how they how is Yandu going to get out of this? It kind of a thing. So I was yeah. a little surprised they 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 went that they went that direction and and again the fact that you know he's you know his dad's going out to the ends of the earth literally to find his son. Um, it's pretty cool. It, I thought that was a, a, also a nice touch to kind of see. Um, though though the ending is going to be interesting to talk about, but but I did I did love this setup here. I'm like whoa oh god yeah. like okay like it, it took it took me by surprise to be quite honest. Like again I was like oh. They're going here. Okay. So yeah. we'll, we'll see. I, I was very curious how they're going to end this. Yeah. So we get uh, the, now T'Challa has to confront Yondu about this. He gets an opportunity because Nebula has double crossed him as part of the triple cross, of course, as we later learn, um, that makes it look like she's captured T'Challa for the benefit of the collector and betrayed all of the ravagers. And so as they're together, T'Challa is understandably upset with Yandu, even saying, you are not my family, you never were, which Korath is offended by, but I'm like, you only just joined. There's no way you were part of the family, but certainly we know why Korath, uh, Korath wanted to be because he's such a huge fan of classic Star-Lord. But um, the anger that T'Challa expressed here was correct. Um, I, I don't know that it should have been resolved uh, quite so easily, but we're still not there to that resolution yet. So uh, we do learn, though, that this is all part of the plan. This is all part of a triple uh, cross, which is going to set up a confrontation because while all of this was happening, Nebula was able to obtain the Embers of Genesis. And there's already a plan for how T'Challa is going to be able to break out of his cell and confront the Collector. But Ebony Maw is there and able to catch him. But Karina saves the day. But that leads to a fight between T'Challa and the Collector. And that sets up, uh, you know, a couple of Marvel Easter eggs there. I mean, there's a Captain America shield there, a, a dagger from mm -hmm. Malekith. There's Hela's crown uh, that allows him to generate these necro swords. That was but cool. The the biggest thing is, which is really brutal when you think about it, that uh, Collector's got a Cronin arm, and he even says that he hacked it off the carcass of a terribly chatty Cronin. So that's Korg's arm, uh, which is really just mean because Korg is so sweet. Um, but this is what has happened to him in this. Uh, meanwhile, Thanos has to take on the Black Order, the two of them who are left anyway, because Ebony Maw was taken out by Karina, Corvus Glaive was taken out by Nebula. So it's Thanos versus Proxima Midnight and the Cull and Cull Obsidian, and he's doing well until uh, against Cull Obsidian and some Sakarans. But uh, when Proxima Midnight jumps in, then it becomes uh, tough, and Thanos is outnumbered, and so Nebula. Still holding that grudge uh, against Thanos, and again, understandably so, decides to double back and save Thanos. And so I, I liked that hero moment for Nebula, doing Thanos a kindness that he obviously doesn't really deserve anyway. But it's uh, an important step for her as a character. 
And Thanos did get that cool moment uh, when he's told that, you know, going back and fighting the Black Order would be crazy. And he says, not crazy, mad uh, was awesome. Mm. And so and, and seeing Thanos in warrior mode, just taking out Sakar, a bunch of Sakarans with like a single blow uh, was awesome. But then it also speaks to, I think, the power level of Cull Obsidian and, and Proxima Midnight that even though he's Thanos, those two together uh, were they, they were winning in that battle. Yeah, and I think that was really cool to see the how at that point in if you look at the well, I love calling it the sacred timeline, by the way. I love we have the 616 universe mm. in the comic books. I'm kind of I'm buying into the sacred timeline. Like I'm into it. Like I'm I'm like, okay, I'm into that idea of calling it the sacred timeline. Like, this is good. The sacred timeline, you get to see these powerful characters and we get to see in Infinity War. And we yes, we know they match up with the heroes. But Thanos is, a, is a, you know, he to show how powerful he is at that point in Infinity War is a great example in this show where you get to see these that Proxima and Cole Obsidian, they are like, they're they are powerful to themselves, right? Like this is their, they are so powerful they can take on you know Thanos at that point, which maybe he this Thanos is a little bit depowered than what we have in Infinity War, but regardless. They're pretty powerful in their own right, and that's and it, obviously it takes Scarlet Witch to like take on Proxima, right? To take mm. her out, which Scarlet Witch is, you know, a Nexus bead, as we find out in the uh, right uh, in the show. So she's she's a big deal. So uh, I do like the fact that like it stays consistent with their power levels. Like Proxima is is a heavy hitter, man. Like you know, Corvus, all those guys, the whole black order, they are, they are nothing to mess with. And we're seeing that consistency here. And it was great to see him kind of go out a little bit more, uh, see their power levels, levels a little bit better in this show. I thought than even the movies, the movies did a great job. I thought too, but you get, you get there's a little Liberty you can take with animation, obviously. And it was really cool to see it kind of in action, uh, on the, in, in animation anyway. Yeah, it really was. Um, it was the animation. I mean, I've I've really enjoyed it, and I, and I think it really yes. shines in the action sequences. I think it shines in the performances as well, though. Like, I think it does a mm-hmm. pretty good job of, you know, it almost looks like it's you know mapped over the actors' faces, but it's not. I mean, they're just in a booth uh, doing their thing. But mm-hmm. yeah, in the action beats, especially, um, it's really great, and, and that is showcased wonderfully in the battle between. You go back to the fight between T'Challa and the Collector, but now it's T'Challa and Yondu versus the Collector. And, you know, them doing the whole, like, sticky fingers thing of how they're going to, you know, I guess it's their version of, like, Thor and Loki's get help of how they're going to be able to defeat the Collector and who has to be the target and absorb the punishment. Well, it's got to be Yondu because, you know, he's got to pay his penance for having lied to T'Challa all of these years, which Yondu can't argue with. He knows that's fair. Um, so T'Challa is able to get the collector's glove, gauntlet, whatever, wristband, and uh, that sets up the flying knee from T'Challa, the rocket-propelled flying knee, which looked really, really cool. Um, so big fan of flying knee. Uh, but yeah, that looked awesome. Uh, knocks co- the collector into a cell where he gets locked up. And then uh, it's all turned over to Karina, who, along with the rest of the collector's slaves slash collection slash prisoners uh as uh, you know the collector even points out like oh karma like yeah this is what's uh this is what's coming for him uh i thought that was a great great little action uh, great action beat but also great ending that kind of leaves it in the hands of you know and it's t'challa doing exactly what korath talked about in the very beginning of the episode he's stealing from the powerful and giving it to the powerless so he took the collector's power 
gave it to all the people who were previously powerless being held by the collector, and now it's up to them to decide how they're going to wield it. I don't think they're going to wield it in a way that works out very well for the collector, but that's okay. Uh, it's pretty much uh, what he deserves. But yeah, I, I love that uh, that ending of it for at least the the superhero supervillain plot, and then of course the story has to continue on from there to resolve some of the uh, more emotional aspects of the story. Yes, but yeah, I, I really love that fight. Yeah, it was a really creative fight. And which, by the way, didn't we see Molnir in his collection too? We did. I, I I just saw that and go, how is he worthy? Come on. So anyway, no, this was this was a great uh, a great fight scene. I love seeing everyone in action. I I think um, God, what's her name? Uh, Karina. What's the what's Karina? Oh, yeah, I always thought it was more, more a lot more obscure name than that, but no, it's literally Karina. Um, I really liked where Karina she got to, she got to finally kind of give the collector uh a little bit of what she tried to give him in the first movie right mm-hmm. which was like she, when she grabbed the power stone he was like oh you know she and it met she met her demise and this she, she got her revenge and was able to actually you know be, be a part of the uprising other than you know then die trying to grab the power stone or whatever uh which is really cool again i love the callback it was it's something I wasn't expecting, but they're using all these different angles and storylines to kind of tell a different story, you know, and not, and in not the most predictable way, which I thought was really cool. I loved how she came into it and how a few seconds of screen time on this show for someone who doesn't watch the movies will be like, well, okay, whatever. But like for us who are, you know, watch for me, I've seen volume one a crap load of times. One of my favorite MCU films. It was really cool to see that moment. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I loved I, lo- I love seeing her kind of do that at the end. So that was one of my favorite parts of the show, actually. Yeah, it was great to give that character that type of moment or those moments, really. It's more than one yeah. uh, in the episode. So that was awesome. And then Yondu and T'Challa, they get away in the Royal Talon. And this is where T'Challa forgives Yondu. And yeah, it's it's a little tough for me to to swallow this one, although I, I just roll with it because the rest of the episode is so awesome and there's no way to really resolve this in a 30 minute episode. I don't even know if you could really resolve this in a movie because Yandu kidnapped T'Challa um, and then kept him under very false pretenses to get T'Challa to want to stay there. I mean, I'm sure young T'Challa was happy to go out and explore the universe for a while, but eventually that kid wanted to go home and be with his family, and Yandu took that from him. Uh, that is an adult uh, kidnapping a child. That's a very bad thing for Yandu. And, and I know that you could say it's the same thing for Peter Quill, but it's not quite because Peter Quill had nothing to go home to. Um, all due respect to Grandpa Quill, played by Greg Henry, who seems like a very sweet man. Uh, Peter Quill didn't have uh, any siblings that we knew about, lost his mother, Never knew his father. So Peter Quill maybe wasn't asking to go back. I mean, it doesn't make what T'Challa did okay, and there, or Yandu did okay, and there's a whole thing between Yandu and Peter Quill as, expo- uh, as explored in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So that's totally fine, um, and I think it's addressed better there than here because that's an entire movie as opposed to a 30-minute episode where we have to explain why T'Challa never went back to Wakanda, and it's because of Yandu doing something really bad and T'Challa is going to forgive him as forgiving and compassionate of a person as T'Challa is. I feel like Yondu still gets off way too easily in this. Yeah. 
but I'm willing to roll with it because the rest of the episode is so good. I, I just have to mostly, you know, I'm not overlooking it because here I am calling it out for like the fifth time in this episode. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't love that, but I also don't know that there was any better way to do it. So it's just one of the, you know, it, it's a flaw that I'll take with all of the good stuff that's in here. And Yandu does get one of my favorite lines of the episode when he says, on any planet among any people, there ain't no place in this galaxy where you don't belong, which is very mm. true of T'Challa. But also, I, I, I feel like that was written as, uh, you know, as a tribute. There's a dedication at the end, but I feel like this is an in-story line of dialogue that was the tribute to Chadwick Boseman. That, yeah. you know, the, yeah. the impact that he had... Um, Meaning on any plane, you know, Chadwick Boseman in this life, on this plane of existence or wherever he may be now, um, there's no place where T'Challa doesn't belong. There's no place where Chadwick Boseman doesn't belong. Yeah, that that was a great line. I, and again, this this series has had great lines and in, in the short amount of time that they get to tell a, a movie to compress it that much and, and still have great lines like that. Again, a testament to the writing team. And I, I'm I'm so impressed with how how great they are telling these stories in a short amount of time. And you know, Sean, I I, I do say sometimes restrictions can be almost liberating because you have to, you have you, know, you have less things to do, so you have to like figure out a creative way to, to tell the story, right? So it's mm-hmm. almost it forces you not not always, but hear me out, but. I do think sometimes when you put yourself in a box creatively, it's almost, again, what can you do with that, that short amount of time or that that restriction? And what if creators and writers and producers and everyone working on the show have done a phenomenal job, I think of telling these stories and still having moments like that, having that line like that, that I remember hearing that line and going, dang, like that's, that's a great line that would have been great for a movie. You know, for that would be a, a totally great and a really res, just well-written line. I'm like, dang, okay. And it just shows you that they, I think, the talent that they're able to get for these shows, mm-hmm. and like, and, and be able to write these things for it. Like, you know, again, a nod to Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman that is well deserved. I, I do agree, like you. It is a little bit of a stretch to to buy, you know, to buy into that with the whole Yondu thing. And but again, even with like, even though I totally agree with it. I still love the fact that there's these two families together. And now granted, maybe I'm a little biased because of my situation, but I do love, I do love the fact that like, he's like, I've got, you know, two families now. And I loved, that was really cool for me. Now granted, like I, I definitely think Yano got off, got off light, but you know, I, I, to me, it just was really, it was a really cool moment to see that at the end. I'm like, dang, okay. This is, it just, it, cause I thought he was gonna be like, I hate you, Yondu. I'm going back home. Like, which again, <laughs> what told, yeah. I, I, I totally would have understood it completely, but, I, but it wasn't. And I love the, but I think it also, the one thing that I, I think that I, I, I bought into it was because of this, not this version, but of T'Challa as a person, he, cause we don't, it, obviously it compresses everything for time, I kind of assumed off screen there was more talk afterwards and which we all would assume. And the, with that type of character, he'd be forgiving and almost maybe into a, maybe to a fault. Cause that is wrong. I would, I would agree with that. And that he'd be forgiving and want to bridge that gap and bring those things together. Cause as we know in that show or in the show, as we see it, when, you know, everyone knows he's, he's able to convince Thanos like what to do. I mean, 
to me, it almost seems like he would justify it. Like, yeah, I can't go back and change it. I know Yondo's a good person at heart. He did a big mistake, but this is a chance for me to bridge these things together and make it actually a great thing. So that's the way I kind of took it as maybe a little bit more. Um, but again, I, I definitely at the time going like how they, yeah, I'm like, okay, I get it. They have to do that. But I did buy into, I think for that fact only because this version of the character seems even more about, you know, writing the wrongs of like the universe and like trying to bridge those gaps. And this would be another one of those bridged uh, gaps to do granted a very big emotional gap, but at the same time, I think he's like the way I saw it was he's making the most of the situation in the sense of where he has two families now. And that's what he's looking at it as, which he says, basically. Um, and I, I like that part. I thought that was really, really cool. And uh, I, I thought it was kind of a beautiful kind of ending in that way. Granted, not told the best, fleshed out the best, like you said, like it, should, it deserved a whole movie, basically. But I, I, I bought into it. I really liked I really liked the ending of the of the show. Yeah, well, and, and in all fairness, I mean, what I'm asking for is, yeah, what, uh, a longer conversation and exactly, more time yeah. to go by to where we get to the same net result of, of T'Challa forgiving Yondu because he was always gonna anyway. So it is a shortcut, but I, I understand why, even if it doesn't feel as emotionally grounded as uh, maybe the rest of the episode might be. But as I said, it's it's a flaw that I'm completely willing to forgive. I mean, call out because it's there but ultimately forgive yeah. because of the rest of the episode is uh is way beyond uh is so good that i i just can't really care all that much but um when we do get t'challa's return to wakanda uh it was a much better trip to wakanda for thanos uh well i mean his trip to wakanda in the sacred timeline went pretty well for him didn't go so well for everybody else um but this is a much happier version of Thanos arriving in Wakanda, and of course, even happier for T'Challa to be reunited with his family. We see T'Chaka, we see Ramondo, we see Shuri are there. Uh, we also get a, a, an Okoye cameo by a voice, of course, by Denai Guerrera as uh, our last little opportunity for Thanos to try and advocate for the efficiency of his plan. Um, and Okoye is just like, yeah, it still just sounds like genocide. Doesn't matter if it's random, doesn't matter if it's efficient. Uh, Thanos, I, I love just Okoye looking at Thanos like you're absolutely crazy or not crazy, mad as uh, as Thanos would say. But um, the emotional reunion between um, T'Challa and and of course his father, and I, I like that T'Chaka asks the question of like, hey, how did you end up on Yandu's ship? And this is T'Challa knowing that he gave Yandu a pass that Yandu didn't deserve is he totally covers for Yondu in that moment. Like, oh, I was lost. Yondu found me. Yes. Because yes. as forgiving as T'Challa was, there's no way that T'Chaka would have been as forgiving or understanding uh, regarding yes. what Yondu did. So that's where we're, we're being at least somewhat truthful in the storytelling is like, yeah, you can forgive him for it, but you better cover you better cover it up because there's no way uh, a, a father and, and also Ramonda's a mother that they're, they're going to forgive this guy for taking their son away for so long instead of just, you know, bringing him back. Uh, even if he asked for a tour of the universe, you could always bring him back uh, when that tour is uh, is over. Although still, it's not your kid. Don't take him on a tour. So anyway, uh, that resolution I, I was good with. But also, I mean, just seeing Wakanda and things having moved forward, although I thought Shuri looked a little older than she should have been because mm. remember this was 2008, not 2014 or 16 and like civil war timeline. 
So unless it took a really long time for them to get back, which nobody else significantly aged, so Shuri probably should have been a little bit younger, although I, I, it's animation, so it's hard to tell how old she's supposed to be in that moment. But anyway, uh, continuity nitpicks aside, um, this creates a lot of, you know, we talked about uh, a power vacuum in the, you know, in the universe and the galaxy and the cosmos because Thanos wasn't the big bad anymore. And, and so, you know, Tanelir Tavon filled that role. Well, in this reality, T'Challa never became Black Panther. So who did? Mm. And, you know, we certainly have, uh, you know, teases of Killmonger in uh, other episodes or another episode of this based on the trailers. So maybe this is one, you know, I, I'm starting to think about how other things might have changed. And, and we do know that some of these episodes have to be connected. And so if the Killmonger storyline is connected to this version of events where T'Challa became a Star-Lord, I could see that making a, a lot of sense where if we think about the decision that T'Chaka made in Oakland to leave Killmonger behind, what if that, or in Jadaka, leave him behind, does that decision change because T'Chaka has lost a son? Is it the idea, does the idea of his son being alone somewhere or just completely gone maybe make T'Chaka more sympathetic as he always should have been to this kid who was just going to be left alone because his father had died, does that maybe change things for for T'Chaka and therefore Njadaka or Killmonger and that create a path for Killmonger to be, to have a home in Wakanda and grow up in Wakanda? And how does that maybe change things for him if maybe there is that connection between these episodes and the story? But there is certainly a, a big blank there, a, a big question mark as to who uh, fills the role of Black Panther in this timeline with T'Challa having been gone. And so that that could definitely be a part where we see different episodes of this series connecting. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I You could go that direction. And if there's a great story to tell to link it to back to that, I think that'd be cool. But I, I don't know. I, I'm more interested in just more even zanier stuff after that, you know. And I, But I see your point of trying to link up some of these different things and because again, I, I definitely think that they're going, you're going to get not just a Captain Carter, but I think they're going to cherry pick. There's going to be some kind of multiverse Avengers team, something, whether it be animation, I think live action. I think there's a very good chance you could see, uh, a jo- I would not be shocked if we got even a Josh Brolin's Thanos, uh, Ravager out of this, something like that. Something so bonkers to have a team that's like, so not of what they what we would conceive to be like what real what the main the sacred timeline is but have it be because again like think about it this way in the comic books there's always been like this there's a random team trying to you know protect the timelines or protect this from the dimensions or whatever that are unseen heroes i would not be shocked if, if like the watcher collected you know i said secret wars in the last episode it could be like a you could make an exiles team right there's an exiles group that comics had for a long time where they did they protect they went through and protected the multiverse and you could have a Captain carter a ravager thanos and you know all these other new characters were going to be seen in the in the future all team together to be this exiles team of protecting the timelines from other entities besides even kang so there's so much you can do and so many different things that 
and again, interconnectivity of the episodes, I, I would be interested in that, but I just, I hope that like, there's a really good reason for it because there's, because with what it's capabilities, there's so much you could do. I just want them to go crazy. And if there's a crazy story with this, I would love to see that. I think the, the trailers kind of tip the tip their hand as far as where they might be going with some of these connections. And I, and I do think it points to a Killmonger Black Panther and even fighting perhaps alongside T'Challa Star Lord. I mean, there's yeah, there's definitely a shot in the trailer where it looks like that's going where a lot of that is, is where it's going. And I'm just excited to see where this is going. And I do think that, you know, another clue in this besides what's happening in future trailers is going back to that point that where we are in the timeline that. We went, that we are 20 years after T'Challa was taken as opposed to 26 years after. Because uh, remember, got you. 26 yeah. years after is after the first Avengers movie and, you know, after a number of other events that, uh, you know, you wouldn't want to have already happened. So if you're going to build a new Avengers team, if they're going to form around approximately the same time that the original six did in the uh, in the sacred timeline. So I think that's why... Some of these little timeline things are, are just going to be a little bit different so that these pieces can fit together for a, a different version. In, in Not that all of these will uh, will link up and, and maybe they're not all part of the same reality, but there might be in some of these episodes might get to be part of the same timeline, whereas others might be building their own timeline. So we will see how that plays out uh, as the series goes on. But really, I, I just have to say how much, again, how much I loved this episode. Although I guess I should skip the the tag at the end, although it wasn't, you know, it's still before the credits. But what did happen to Peter Quill if he wasn't taken by Yondu and uh, the rest of the Ravagers? Well, he ended up working at that Dairy Queen that we saw from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, and Ego does ultimately find his son. And great to see Kurt Russell pop up for like a two second vocal so performance. Weird. I love it. Like, I, I love that I love this is too. the power of weird. Marvel Studios and the MCU that Kurt Russell can come in and, and do, the, right. uh, you know, this voice work. Um, it was great. Um, yeah, as I said, it wasn't Chris Pratt for the voice of uh, of Peter Quill, but that's all right. Great hearing uh, Kurt Russell. And that little tease at the end is, and I, I like that maybe they can explore that in another What If episode if they want to, but they don't have to. Like, the Watcher has the perfect tease for that of like, you know, too bad it might be the end of the world, but that's a story, you know, for another time. So if they want to pick up that thread, go for it. If not, we can also just write it in our own heads as it's some other version of what went down in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Of course, we would know that there would be a lot of differences to it. But uh, I loved this episode, and it was such a great celebration of the character of T'Challa in more ways than I, I think it was ever designed or intended to be. There's just a different purpose that... Um, it, it had to fulfill. It, it still serves as such a wonderful celebration of, of Chadwick Boseman and his performance and this character of T'Challa and the dedication they put at the end, dedicated to our friend, our inspiration, and our hero, Chadwick Boseman. Uh, that got me, uh, of course, as I, I think it would get uh, just about everyone. Um, so emotional, and um, and I'm, I'm glad that they took the moment to do that. I, I know that the other line of thinking on that would be, just have fun with the episode and just let it be what it's going to be. But there's a way to have fun while also kind of, you know, acknowledging and paying tribute to someone we, you know, someone that, of course, the people who worked, who knew him and worked with him loved 
and and fans you know loved him in in the ways that they could and just that point of connection that everybody had for in various ways to Chadwick Boseman much of which you know came through his portrayal of T'Challa in in the Marvel Cinematic Universe um and and the impact that that had so having that celebration in this episode but then also paying that proper tribute at the end uh, I, I thought it was just wonderful. It, it's hard. It's hard to just kind of think about it because it's, you know, this was the last time of, of we're going to, you know, he, hear and him portray that character. And it was a lot of fun. It was just to see the energy and this, the voice and the know that, he, you know, he did that while he was sick and just, you know, you don't hear it in the voice. You, all you hear is a, a fully formed character. And that's, that sounds strong and excited and positive and funny. And, knowing what really is going on at that moment it's just ugh, it's a gut punch man but it's uh but I'm, I'm i'm glad we've got as much as we did and i'm i'm really happy that he was able to portray such an iconic you know or make night portrayed an iconic character he made black panther iconic mm-hmm. and you know a character that's been around forever and and has never been able to get the 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 i think the the glory that it, the character deserved and it took an actor of his caliber to do it and I think it's a testament to him as a person and actor that he was able to get that to the mainstream audience. And I think it's just uh, his legacy will live forever as, you know, making, you know, as the Black Panther and how much of a great uh, character and an example he is for, for people. And he's awesome. So, yeah, awesome, awesome uh, tribute at the end for sure. Yeah. And such a great way to, you know, have this performance be something where Chadwick Boseman got to even show, expand the idea of this character and expand our idea of this character that there were a lot of qualities that that we knew about that we experienced in previous stories and in previous performances of Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa but also a lot of new stuff you know there was this was a performance that where T'Challa showed that he wasn't he wasn't carrying all the same burdens that the one in the sacred timeline did you know the burden of the throne of the expectations within Wakanda this is a T'Challa who grew up, who had a lot of the same qualities, but also grew up very, very differently. And, and Chadwick was able to showcase that through his vocal performance in this episode. And it, it was wonderful to see all of that. And just amazing to hear his voice again as this character, because, you know, Black Panther was was already a character who meant very much to a lot of people but uh, still wasn't as known as the character deserved to be uh, as the character eventually was, thanks in large part to the performance of Chadwick Boseman beginning in Captain America Civil War, but then, of course, continuing on through the, of course, Black Panther solo film and the phenomenon that that was. And then from there, of course, in Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, and, you know, just a, a testament to the performer and, and the person that Chadwick Boseman was. And, and this episode did a great job of celebrating that and then ultimately uh, paying tribute to Chadwick Boseman. So I just I, I absolutely loved it. And I'm very excited that uh, that we still get to hear a, a bit more of Chadwick Boseman as uh, as T'Challa in this series. Um, but I think that's uh, that's it for the episode. So that means it's it for us uh, on this episode of MCU Fan Show. So make sure you check out patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R for exclusive podcasts where you'll also hear us talking about the Eternals trailer, the news that Anthony Mackie will be, uh, of course, has signed on for Captain America 4. Not that we would have expected anything other than that. Uh, and then also the news speaking of Wakanda, 
Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Dominique Thorne will make her MCU debut as Riri Williams, a.k.a. Ironheart. It's going to be there, not in her Disney Plus series, although that is going to be the star vehicle where we were, where we will see her eventually. And then make sure, so that's on patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. And then make sure you're following us in all those places you can at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Follow the comic binge on YouTube. Subscribe, please. I really appreciate it. We've definitely grown a little bit, and appreciate everyone who's already done that. And, uh, yeah, also follow, follow The Saga Continues, the Star Wars podcast I am on with my good buddies Tim and Kyle. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening to MCU Fan Show. We'll see you next time.